Welcome to Grow Your Creative Agency, a podcast. Nate, Nate. Yeah? It's not going to work, It's not going to work. Okay. Hey, this is Eric Parnell, owner of the Northwest Collective. And Nate Kupish, owner of Blastoff Studio. Has your creative agency plateaued? Or are you growing slowly and ready to scale up faster? Or maybe you're just ready to give up and get a nine to five. Listen in as we chat with founders who have successfully built up their own creative agencies. Join us as we learn how to get the clients you want, generate greater revenue, and develop a sustainable business model that makes you more productive and less stressed. All right, so yeah, today we're just catching up. Um, This is the episode where we are talking about our real world agency experiences. Um, usually we have a guest speaker and we're learning and gleaning from their experience, but um, we also, we're trying to do this ourselves. We're trying to grow our agencies. So this is a time where we get to check in with each other and see how things are going. Yeah, plus I'm growing my first mustache at 36 years old. I finally, when I was shaving my beard, my, my scruff the other day, I left my mustache, if you want to call it that. So just wanted to throw that out there, you know, new beginnings. <laughs> okay, we're okay. So here we go. So uh, yeah, so we're going to do a Let's Chat episode today. The Let's Chat episode is all about just Eric and I chatting about things that we've been learning, uh, whether that's the easy way or the hard way uh, through experience or trying to learn before these experiences happen. Uh, we both have a couple notes written down, but really it's just a conversation for us to be able to chat back and forth. We have a feeling that you as our listeners may be in similar spots. And so we're going to try and touch on things that would be helpful to you um, again, so that you can learn hopefully the easy way as we learn. And so uh, let's just jump. Do you mind if I just kind of start us off? Yeah. Kick us off. What you got? Okay, cool. Well, oh my gosh, I have, I have, uh, my my mind map is like I could I could fill an entire wall with a sharpie with the stuff that's in my head right now. But if I were to focus on a single trailhead starting point idea for right now, it would be the value that I have found and has been created in working with a business slash life coach. I started. Um, we had my I had my second meeting with um, a man named Scott who is my business life coach this last Friday. And I cannot tell you, like, it has been mind-blowing how helpful it has been. And I went into it thinking, um, okay, so Scott, you know, I can put my business plans in front of him, I can put my questions, and then he can kind of, like, dictate and and lead. And when we first met uh, for our first official conversation, uh, paid conversation time together, a month and a half ago or two months ago for our first one, we actually, we spent probably four or five hours together and we didn't actually touch much business stuff. Um, He immediately from the way that I was talking, my tone, my energy, he picked up on the fact that I had a, I had a pretty negative self view of myself and essentially um, being, being, you know, kind of a, tend to be more perfectionistic and and critical in nature, Uh, whether it's seeing things, whether it's in the work or just thinking of myself or wanting people's approval, all that. But anyway, he's like, Nate, we, this is everyone, everyone that he works with, Fortune 500 CEOs and um, 
by the grace of God, he's taken me on as a client, but he works with these, these people who are, you know, really top of the level in their industries. And he's like, we spend a lot of time on mindset stuff because the reality is if, you know, if you step up to that home home plate and you're going to hit a, a, try and hit a baseball, if you think you can't hit the ball, it doesn't matter if you have a 500 or 400 uh, batting average, you're not going to hit the ball. And so we mm-hmm. got to start by reframing some of this. So anyway, I think that where I would start is uh, the value that I found has been created in these coaching sessions, the investment that it's worth in my own life. Um, I always thought of coaching like self, uh, what do you call it? Life coaching as kind of like a, a gimmicky thing. I don't quite know why. I think I had pictures of um, kind of the silly scenes in movies or people that maybe weren't qualified, or at least I didn't perceive them as qualified being in that life coach role. And then, so that had really created the picture of what I thought that role was. And so I had stayed away from it. But um, yeah, just things kind of fell into place for me to start working, get it to get to start working with Scott. And it's been a game changer. So a lot of what I'm going to share personally today, what I've been learning as a business owner, creative studio, growing all this, um, having an employee is is going to flow out of those conversations um, specifically from this last Friday. So nice. um, that's my background to my point. And my point is this. The first thing I learned this this Friday uh, was that how, how uh, self-criticism really erodes my joy. And for me, I have this deep uh, belief that I'm intended or I'm at my top, I'm optimized, whatever language you want to use when I'm able to help other people, whether that's in design, strategy, life, uh, helping with the neighbor's yard, all of these things. And the key component that that is weaved throughout all of those moments of helping is my my the gasoline that fills my car for me is joy. And if I don't have joy, I can't be helping people. And so I, and so he pointed out a couple statements that I had made that were just really self-critical around um, comparison, me to other people in my own mind and uh, self-criticism of the work I've been creating. It's not good enough, all this. And he's like, dude, that's just going to, Hey, we got to start here today. That that's eroding your joy. It's not attractive. It's not going to help in your client conversations, um, and it doesn't add value to the people that I'm serving. The the reality is, um, they don't have any evidence uh, or any doubts in me until I offer them those things. So if we're working together and I make a mistake or I drop the ball on something, sure, that is a reasonable reason for them to say you know, to have some future concern conversation. But the reality is those aren't actually happening yet. Um, Thankfully, I know that they're coming at some point. I will make things, you know, that are actual mistakes with clients. But up till now, anything that I've done, any reason that I give them to doubt Blastoff Studio is really I'm giving it. So self-criticism erodes my joy. It's not attractive and it does not add value to the clients I'm serving. That is my, I've just been chewing on that since Friday. We're recording now. It's uh, a week later. Yeah. So for the last seven days, I've really been chewing on that. So there you go. That's, That's my first, first thing. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up because, um, I don't know, maybe I'm not a very good friend and I have not brought that up with you, but it's something I've noticed and I hope it's not too uncovering, but yeah, just little comments. Like I remember at the gym, you said, uh, 
oh yeah, if, if I'm not the best, I'm the worst or something like that. And just some of the stuff that you struggle with, uh, you know, mentally uh-huh. and, um, yeah, I want to, I don't want that for you either. And so, uh, that's really cool to hear you're digging into that a little bit. Um, I think it, that could be huge to address some of those mindset shifts. Yeah. And I didn't think about the, the interconnectivity. I think I had in some ways kind of separated these pieces of my life out, even though I have a deep belief that everything's connected. I had, I had separated these out and not realize that the way that I talk about myself and my company, especially now that I have an employee, is going to bleed into how she feels about the company, how she feels about me, how she feels about the work we're creating as a team. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not carrying the persona and speaking about myself, our work, the company, how she's doing. If, if I'm carrying that that Enneagram oneness, the unhealth aspect of it, where it's constantly, um, you know, seeing things that can be better and, and that type of thing, it's really going to affect her, which is going to affect the company, which is going to affect clients. So it really, I, I, I really believe with what Scott was saying, it, I got to get some of my own stuff um, straightened out a little bit and and it starts with awareness and so that was really helpful that he, that he said that and and thanks for no i'm it was not too showing telling you can always call me out on that um cool really it's just when my ego is just inflated and i don't want to be you know criticized that i start doing that so yeah anyway, your turn no well i just to say i i relate with that a lot too actually and i think that's a good i, I think would be a good takeaway for listeners and for me too i think um you know, no matter what level of success we achieve or, you know, like if I was to see the work that I'm doing now, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I would think, oh, wow, mm-hmm. it's amazing. You know, look how look how far they've come or look those big jobs that they're doing or those budgets or whatever. Um, but sitting here now, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, we're not really anything. We haven't really achieved much, you know. Um, it's there's always further to climb and uh, more comparison to be had. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I could speak more highly of our work too, just with my team and, and with client conversations, because that's a, a confidence thing when you're having a sales conversation, if you don't think the value you're bringing is great, that's, that's not going to help. Um, so yeah, I think that's important. No. Um, cool. Well, we can segue over to one of the things I wanted to discuss today. And, um, again, I hope this is not too, uh, vulnerable, but it's, it's, it's personal between you and me. Um, one of the things I want to talk about Mm -hmm. was the bro deal. Um, you know, I Mm, think that's something a lot of our listeners probably deal with and face and, um, you know, something you and I have been through recently. And I was reminded of it just when you were talking about how your personality type is to want to help. And that's how you get joy. Um, But in my opinion, the bro deal is never a very good deal for either side. Mm -mm. (laughs) As good as it sounds up front. Um, So, yeah, do you care if I just share a little background on on our situation? No, no, no. Okay, cool. Yeah, as we're trying to figure it out and... Yeah, go for it. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, uh, 
listeners, if you've heard any of the past episodes, you know, um, Nate launched his agency, was it maybe a year ago now or a little more? Yeah, just a little. Yeah, April. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Yeah. So Nate, early on, uh, of course, very talented designer. And uh, we're talking about some of my needs. And I think in, uh, you know, eagerness to help and, um, you know, the, the, joy that he gets from that in his own life was, was kind of like, Hey, you know, why don't I help you with some web design stuff? Um, Mm -hmm. and, and this goes both ways. Cause for me, I never take time to work on my own stuff. So it was severely, um, put low on the, the totem pole of priorities for me. Um, but whenever we would circle back around to, yeah, let's get some, let's get some, work going for you. And, and Nate so kindly at the time was like, I'm just going to do it. Uh, you, I'm not going to charge you anything. Like I'll just hook you up. We're buds. And, um, of course, on the other side of that, it's like, fantastic. You saved me some costs. You know, this is going to be great. Yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. If it takes a little longer. Um, and I, I kind of knew because I've been through it myself, but even at the time, I, I kind of knew and should have known, you know, probably should have just stopped it at the time. But to say, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's really hard to prioritize that work when you have other work going on. Um, but we just kind of shuffled it around and made some progress. And Nate did end up doing some really good work. He did a uh, a new logo for us and, and some great design work. Um, but long story short, we have not been able to get it to the finish line. Um, and so finally last week we had a conversation. I said, Hey man, can I just take what you have so far? I can't pay your full rates. So why don't I just hire somebody else to finish this out? And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. And and I think we're both were on a good page with that, but um, yeah, definitely. The the bro deal, I think, is something that we're all tempted to do. And I know I did way too much early on. You know, friends would say, hey, let's shoot a music video or, you know, let's do something cool. And I'm like, yeah, great. I'll just do it. You know, don't worry about the costs. And mm-hmm. of course, when it comes time for the edit, that's back of, you know, back of the list as far as what I'm going to be working on. Um, yep. cause it's not, it's not paid. And as much as you want to think you're going to put the hours in and, and dedicate time to that, it's just really, really, um, easy to save that mm-hmm. for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't know on your side of things. Did you have a similar experience where it's, it's good intentions up front and, and then, you know, it's difficult on the back end to follow through. Mm, that's a good question. Um, you know, in yeah, the way my brain works is when I see problems or opportunities in this case, I can linear my brain linear in a linear fashion organizes all the steps. This is this, this is what we need to do. Here's the plan. Here's the 30,000 foot big picture. Here's how to make it happen. Here's all the steps. And in 10 seconds, my brain is just filled with all that stuff. So yeah, you came to me. Hey, we're starting a new parent company. Uh, it has a little bit different, you know, um, 
emphasis than our current production company, all the details. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Let's do this. I have a little bit of time right now. Um, I can see all the steps. And then here's where it gets dangerous, I think, is because I can see myself doing all the steps, I don't, it's, it's just like, I know how to do that. I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. As opposed to that's a four hour I can do. That's a two hour I can do. That's a six hour I can do. That's an eight hour. Okay. That's Mm -hmm. 24 hours. I cannot do that. So I'm looking at it less with what it's going to cost me as far as time, energy, resource, and more out of, can I able, do I have the skills to do it? And then that gives me like this dopamine hit and, and it's an instant. Let's just do this. So you're right. So then we started and then all of a sudden I had two or three clients that just like, like just bond, like, you know, throwing a, a match on a bonfire with gasoline, just like, pff, like we need you here. So it, of course it was like, Eric, I, sorry, I can't meet this week to keep going. And then what, two months later, it's like, Nate, I gotta, I gotta get this out. And I'm, you know, and I think the bro deals can cause stress and fr- frustration um, on each side. You and I, um, I would hope to say that, um, I would hope it's true. And I say we, we have enough, uh, maturity and the friendship is deep enough to just be like, no, oh, this is just business stuff. Like cut, cut it here. So, yeah. and that's what happened, you know, so we did really well, but yes, I would agree. I would say that the, uh, the whole friend deal at no cost can get real. Yeah. It's just difficult. I mean, we yeah. do, we, tr- we're at, we're at barter and trade economic society. So we think like that. So when there's nothing on the other end, yeah, the value when something else comes along, it, it takes precedence. Yeah, totally. And it definitely, yeah, no, no animosity or hard feelings at all. Because like I said, I've been there myself and, and knew all along, like, great, if you can do it, awesome bonus. If not, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. you know, we can, we'll figure something else out. So I think it was a healthy mm-hmm. um, example of that. But there are a lot of other unhealthy situations that you Mm. hear about and that I've been through myself, even like, you know, nonprofit work. Um, Often Mm. it's it's things that you're motivated to do because it's a good cause. It's like, oh yeah, let me, let me just cover my costs for my team or whatever it is. And you take it on. Um, But the, the fact that it's not going to, allow you to survive. It's not paying the bills. It's not, you know, um, moving you forward. It's very, very hard to prioritize and to do a good job. You know, the other thing is, is you say, oh yeah, we can do that. But then when it actually comes time to execute on, it's like, well, they're not really paying my full rate. So I should do a scaled down version of it. And then you might end up with a product that Mm. you're actually not that proud of. And, you've done yourself mm. wrong, you've done them wrong. And so nobody yep. really wins when you're doing discounts and favors, you know, in, yeah. in general, I think there, there are of course, uh, exceptions yeah. to the rule, but, um, for our listeners out there, if this is something you're struggling with or you're early on and, and you want to do a bunch of half rate deals or freebie deals, um, I think those are good when they're fully filling your portfolio when you're not dependent on the paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's mm-hmm. time to move on pretty quickly from and, that world. And when that, when your when your actual schedule, your actual hours that you have in your life, you have margin for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just practically speaking. That's good, Eric. I oh. like that. It's a good learn. Yeah. 
how your how your co-host let you down. You know? <laughs> I mean, we're just we're just we'll start there. Shots fired. Yeah, no, it's good. Well, sweet. Um, well, I would like to hear one thing on what you were just saying. Do you feel like there is a time and a place? Is kind of what I was hearing you say for those types of interactions with people. And those would be portfolio. Those would be maybe early days when you have a part-time job that's paying your rent and your food, but you'd like to shift into more of the creative space. Like there are times and places, it's not to never do those deals, but it is to be thoughtful about all the cost factors, whether that's economic, time-wise, energy, motivation, to really just maybe take a pause, go on a walk and think about it before you just jump into saying yes to someone. Yeah. Is, that, is that kind of a summary? I do think so. I think the time and the place, yes. One is is early on um, when you're building your portfolio mm -hmm. and you want to, one, you're learning in those experiences, and two, then you have something to show mm -hmm. for what you're capable of. Um, two, yeah. yeah, if you're if you have other income or and the the time availability, but I I mean, I don't know. Maybe other people are better uh, at this than I am, but for me. I would think that you need to be doing very well as a company before you could start taking on jobs like that again. Um, because mm. they're, mm. you know, they're, they're going to be demanding in one way or another, you know, and it's taking your bandwidth mm -hmm. of yep. what's your, your limited time that we have uh, for work and, you know, to make a living um, and dedicating elsewhere. And, and if you do that, it's, it's just really easy um, I mean, not, not on my end in this case, but say on your end in this case, um, to where, you know, if if the other person was aggressive, like, hey, I really need this. Like, why aren't you getting into me into this? And you're like, you're not paying for it. You know, like it's really easy to to um, yeah. have relationships be affected. Um, luckily, yeah, it was not as it was the case for us, but in other circumstances, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's that... Um there's that proverb about if you've made your, yourself a deal with your neighbor and you know you can't hold up your end or it's going to essentially cost you more than you have to give capacity-wise to, to drop what you're doing and go and have that conversation and get out of that contract. Hmm. And I think it applies, in fact, this last week um, in realizing some of my own bandwidth. As, here you go. You're getting on my – I dropped it on you. I dropped the – the uh, Eric's project uh, just a little bit by date. Um, but then there was another guy actually around the same time that I said I could help you where things were slower. I did have margin and um, he ha we had met and he said, could you build me just a simple thing? And, and I kind of figured it would be part of my giving back and I had some space and I told him yes. And then um, it's been kind of haunting me, you know, for the last two months because it's like, man, I really, I told him I would do this. We mm -hmm. had an expectation of end of summer, so it wasn't. It's only April now, or uh, May now. Yeah. But anyway, I was sitting at my desk and I was like, "Man, I've been carrying this pressure for quite a while. I need to. I need to get myself out of this. Out of this." Mm -hmm. And uh, so I wrote him an email. I just said, "Hey, I'm. I. Uh, I love what you're doing. I would love to help you. I told you I would help you. I am gonna. This is on me. I own this. Um, but I won't be able to to do this like I thought I would. And based on client, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, I didn't actually hear back yet, but you know, he, he could be on vacation. But I was able to get myself out of that that deal, essentially, 
Mm-hmm. And um, before we got into it getting sticky. And so I'm, I'm glad that yeah. we did that. I think it's so much better. I mean, we put all this weight on ourselves. Like, well, I said it. I have to finish it. Um, but it, it's better to be honest and upfront. I was just thinking about this. I had a mm-hmm. an electrician that was supposed to come by my house yesterday. And he was a no-show. Just uh-huh. didn't call. Okay. No text. Just did not come. And, and we blocked out time, you know, to be home so that he can be there at that time. And I'm like, it would be so much better if he would just text me and say, Hey, I'm not going to be able to make it after all, you know, a little communication. And even if he can't come at all, they're busy. My job was just a little small thing. He's probably worried about bigger jobs that pay better. I get it. You know, we understand that. And it's better to just communicate and say, um, Mm. front, you know, then, then leave somebody hanging, I think. So, um, Yep. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's really good, good for all of us to keep in mind. That's really good. What else you got? Mm. Well, um, another one that I had picked up that I, that Scott, uh, my business life coach helped me see was, um, so this is going to be a little bit more down in the weeds. And if anyone's in the design, creative design world and you have your own company or you're, or working on a leadership team for it, this might resonate, but um, much of, so Blastoff had a two-part pricing model. We had one-off project cost. Uh, so, you know, you are a new startup. You need to form your brand identity, the story. From there, we need to have some marketing materials such as a website, social channels, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Pricing cost is X dollars. So that's our project cost. But then we also had design retainer model um, as, a, as our other secondary pricing. And that was essentially, I really believe in it. It's easy to talk to people about people love it. It's essentially, um, for small to medium sized companies or large size that just don't have the amount of creative support they need. Blastoff studio is essentially your creative department that's on call for you. And you have this retainer with us for X amount of hours every month. And so it sounds awesome. It is awesome. Um, and our clients, we have, um, I think we have six active clients on our design retainers program right now nice. and they they love it from from what the feedback but what i did not realize the pitfall of this is two th- two folds um, of this second model strategy one and, and i want to start by saying it has helped us get blast off into the black within the first year so it's been really successful but what at the cost of when you have six retainer clients who each have two to three people on their team that are working on different projects at any given time reaching out to us, there is now roughly 18 people that we're communicating with just to run six retainer contracts that are anywhere from 1000 to 3000 a month. Hmm. So you do the math and it's a lot of back and forth communication with a lot of people for not a lot of money. When you do the math, sure, the hourly comes down to, you know, what we needed to make hourly as a team to pay our overhead and all that. But the amount of communication is exhausting. And before before I hired Arliss, our project and account manager, I'm not kidding you. I was spending half of my time just doing communication and meetings with people. So I wasn't even doing that much design work. So there is a pitfall for us at least for this design retainer thing. And it's twofold. One is by having an, a high number for us, we're two employees, two staff, myself and Arliss for having for us a high number of uh, clients and contacts that we're talking with. Um, 
that that's just a lot happening for that money. Mm -hmm. Now the benefit there is that you have your eggs spread out so you can drop one. You don't have to worry about money. Um, the other pitfall though, and I think this is more important and my, and, and again, Scott was telling me he had owned a, um, a company had 4,000 employees, uh, wow. and he, he learned a lot, but he was shift. They were shifting their model every three months. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have my hands really tight around my models. So what does it look like to open them up? So here's the second pitfall of design retainers. It puts all of our, the, the, all of our services that we offer within a design retainer on the same value plane. Hmm. So for instance, uh, we will offer print design if a client needs maybe uh, a cover for a book that they've put out and then they need the intern insides all formatted to assign to their brand identity align with it well if that is going to take 12 hours out of their month and then also coming up with some new brand assets is going to take the hours out of the month i've now said both creation uh pieces the design for the cover and the brand stuff is valued at the same amount. And what's really not helpful about that is that like, for instance, I'm thinking of a client right now they're having us, they ask us if we do a brand identity conversation with their entire team, go over the brand stuff that we've created for them over the last six months, go over how to use it, rules to follow all that. So I'm going to do this session with their team that realistically, if someone were to come to me and ask that, we can do that. But that's probably going to be, you know, a $1,500 to $2,000 time because there's a lot that goes into it. Instead, I now want to keep my word, and I will, but I'm just using our paid hours. And, and it's going to be a quarter of what I, quote unquote, could be or should be charging based on the value of that service over something like a print design or digital design. So, wow. I've only had I've only had one cup of coffee, but I feel like I'm talking a lot. I will say though, the pitfalls of the design retainer is a it puts everything on the same level of value, which is really dangerous. Yeah. Because a janitor and a CEO, um, I would dare to say the janitor might have a better inside world because it's got less stress potentially. But they should be paid differently according on what they're doing, and the design retainer kind of, you know, it, it negates that. Um, so. Yeah, so we're shifting some models. That'll be my third one is kind of yeah. But the second thing that I learned was it's okay that things can shift and design retainers were great in getting us going. Um, we'll continue doing design work, but um, and we're, we're shifting some business models just based on what it's costing us uh, relationally to, to keep up with everyone. Yeah, so does that involve, um, I mean, adjusting your baseline uh, since since things are there are variables to where mm -hmm. your hourly work could be spent on um, something that requires your highest level of work and yep. something else could be less do you need to is it basically a rate increase um, to where good. you're kind of covering your bases yes. good question so there's a few things that we're going to end up doing out of this learn um, but one is the way that we're actually going to onboard clients. So currently we've onboarded clients through the project model and through the retainer model. The retainer model has worked really well and it funnels clients in as a wide net saying, come one, come all. We do all the design. We do video, photo. It's all one easy, you know, Apple one subscription type thing. It's all in one spot. 
And that leads to some bigger projects. Those clients we've had already in the last year say, this has been great. We need to redo our website. And then I can assign them a project uh, cost. The downside, though, and, and the, one of the things that we're shifting is we're going to try and actually have our forward-facing service, which is actually what I love doing, and that was another thing Scott has been working with me on, is what do you love doing? What is your optimal job description? You are a business owner, which means you have the capacity to try your best to work yourself into that role. Whereas in like a, you know, if you work at Nike, you can look at roles and aspire to climb and get there. But this, you actually get to form it for yourself and then build the structure to become that. Mm -hmm. And I realized it's the, it's the brand identity coaching conversations that give me the most joy. So we're working with a financials tech startup right now. We did a round one for them. They had about half a million funding. So we went in, we did their design their strategy. Now they're in round two. They came back. Now it's uh, it's about three or four times the original value of that first project. So we're growing with them as a company. And so what we're going to really try and do is, is funnel in clients through the coaching conversation retainer. So essentially we, I would, I would coach them on brand identity, forming their strategy, their marketing. And that is ground zero because we can't really create stuff until that's really strong. Mm -hmm. Um, and so from there, we'll hopefully have projects that, that flow out of that nice. as opposed to let's start small on a retainer and try and go big. Yeah, cool. So and that being kind of like a paid discovery model in a sense where you're figuring out what they Yeah, really it'll be need. coaching conversations. Yep, yep. We'll do one a month for 90 days and then we'll move over to a year model and, um, and, and we'll see how that goes. I'm going to be open to change, but um, yeah. I can't be continuing to sit at my desk doing all this communication and small work. I need to, I need yeah. to uh, allow myself to breathe a little bit. And then you're not doing one size fits all and over committing yourself before you even know what their needs are. Yeah. Cool. That right. sounds and good. I feel like you've done that well. I mean, you've hired out editors, you have account managers, you have uh, producers, you've really allowed you you've been a you've been really good at delegating. I've I've learned a lot from you on, on that piece too. Yeah, but we, we, you know, have some of the same pitfalls when we'll, um, some, we have some retainer contracts and we'll kind of bid them based on the work that we think it's going to entail. And sure. we try to spell that out clearly enough up front so they know these are your deliverables, this is what you're getting. Um, but oftentimes that comes with management of the client to or education to say, you did not pay for that. You're not going to get that. <laughs> um, yeah. Because along the way, they they may have thought they had an idea for what they had signed, um, but maybe maybe didn't look into it enough or didn't realize exactly what they're getting. Um, and so we're we're learning. You know, we we need to do a better job, even with client onboarding too, and and making all that really clear. Well, um, yeah. Next up, you know, for me. We, I've been thinking about, you know, always working with this sales piece. I feel like our systems are good. Um, our processes are good. And it, I don't think we, we have as much variance as say you might in, in some of your work. And so mm. I'm, and I also have a lot of people reaching out that want to work with us, you know, other 
cinematographers, wow. other producers. Um, it's kind of a regular occurrence. Well, you know, once a week we get an email that says, Hey, if you ever need extra help, we'd love to work with you. Um, I, I remember think, you mentioning that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, I feel like there's, there would be at least process and crew and operationally, it would be easy to scale. Um, but the problem is just our pipeline. We're, we're busy. We're at a certain level. Um, but I would not be able to hire more or, you know, extend ourselves anymore unless we had a very steady flow of a higher rate of work than we're getting now. Um, mm. So, you know, I've always, at least the last few years, have really been thinking about sales and outreach and how do you do that? And um, I've kind of gone back and fence with back and forth with, is it marketing? Is it sales? Um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, if it seems like from from people I've heard that advertising for creative services is really tough. You know, you're not mm -hmm. advertising a product. It, it's not something that people need. Like my refrigerator went out. I need a new refrigerator. Um, it's something that could help their business. It's something that, you know, it, yeah, they are in need of it. Say people need a website, people need a video, um, but they may not need one right now. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't know. I've, I just met with somebody about um, doing a, like a media buy for putting some ads out there for us. And, um, you know, we, we make content, um, we're video mm -hmm. producers, but I'm not really in that world as far as um, digital marketing and ad management mm -hmm. and that whole set of things. Um, and I don't know how a lot of that works. Uh, but I, you know, I had a good conversation and the thought was, you know, if, if we put some ads together, I could get them in the right places. Um, one thing this gal I met with shared with me was, um, the concept of geofencing, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar mm -hmm. with, but mm -hmm. I was not, um, mm -hmm. which is basically, you know, hyper-targeted locations for serving people ads and the way she talked about it is like you could you know some industries would um basically draw a circle on the map around their competitors locations yep and whoever goes yep. there they can get served with your ad <laughs> they get it so um, funny. yeah which um, i actually actually hate you it. know that's awesome i yeah i'm not i'm i mean i know we're gonna get ads nobody's making these uh, software products for free. So we have to get ads to, to get the software. If we're going to get ads, it might as well be ones that I want. I'm not totally against it. Um, yeah, but I, uh, yeah. So I was thinking about that. And so like in our case, we want to partner with other agencies. Um, a lot of our new work, you know, we've been kind of business to business, but now, uh, are shifting to where we want to make, um, partnerships with agencies that already have their own book of work. They've already done the brand development and we can just execute on the video side. Um, so, you know, Correct. one thought yeah. was like, yeah. 
well, what if I just geofenced every agency in Portland, let's say, and people who work there, mm. are, you know, they're going to be in the location. They could get served our ads. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's an investment, one, of just the ad buys, two, of our time to think about, okay, what kind of ads are we going to make? Mm. What's going to speak to people in that target? And, mm. you know, any internal work is, is always tough to allocate time for. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of mm. been kicking that around. Like, would that be worth our time and investment uh, to do something mm -hmm. like that? And, mm -hmm. yeah, I wonder if... Um, other say production companies or even marketing companies have luck doing their own marketing. I don't feel like I see a lot of, of ads for mm. creative service companies. I don't know. You have any thoughts? Yeah, that's a really good question, Eric. So everything that we, any, anything that we sign is going to fall into one of two categories as to how we got to that moment, I think, or at least the two that come to my head. One is a relationship. So like Kelly Long shared, she and her partners were starting the company and the, what was it, the CEO or something of a really large back then company. Um, they knew each other from working together. And so when they reached out, they had a job, they got signed. So it's either relationships mm -hmm. or it's some sort of advertisement, whether that's a verbal, you meet someone at a coffee shop and you give your, you know, short little elevator pitch, that type of advertisement as informal as that or something formal. Like I just realized I'm getting ads in Spotify now, which is actually really irritating, but mm. um, in the paid subscription. But that might draw me into the next step, which is eventually getting um, into some sort of relationship. So when it comes to marketing, it's fascinating to me because it's really just finding the the right channel and the right timing and the right message to the to the, you know, to the right people. So for you, um, it's, it is a little different than for me. I'm I tend to be working with businesses. There's a lot of businesses. And then now with your focus on working with agencies to film for them, but essentially have them do the client management piece. Um, but you guys offering this really high end video and that's what they want. Your niche is much smaller. So I guess there's, you know, so you know this stuff, Eric, there's so many ways to do it. You can walk in and shake a hand or you can, but yeah, maybe, maybe the ads could potentially stir some conversation mixed with some other concepts of mailing them, you know, something or somehow get that relationship going. Cause obviously that's going to be the strongest. Um, so yeah. I don't know, no, no right answer. I just, well, yeah, and I that's think it's fascinating. Geotagging. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, even for you, I think the time that you spent uh, in a bigger market, you were in the Portland area, um, just even relationships from your community and people that you know, they're going to be involved with maybe larger industries or larger companies mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. have marketing dollars to, to spend on things like this. I've been in a, this small, yes. you know, bent market for the last 20 years. And so a lot of my relationships wow. are not, um, not, you know, a lot of them are not companies that have budget allocated for things like high-end video production. Um, so mm. yeah, try in an attempt to go outside of my 
regular network. And of course, Ben's growing and, and we are doing some local work. And um, But I don't think it will be rapid enough if we want to scale mm. at the rate that I'd like to. Um, yeah. And then the other part of that is just kind of like I mentioned before, I'm not... I'm, I'm a not a good salesperson. I don't speak highly of my own work. Um, other people are like, oh my gosh, it's you guys are doing incredible things. I'm like, are we? Oh, yeah, I guess so. It's kind of cool. Um, mm. So I am not the type where I would, you know, call up a potential customer and say, let me tell about let me tell you about our company and what we can do for you it's just not something that comes natural to me and i've thought about you know well mm-hmm. maybe i need somebody in that role you know and that's where I kicked around the the salesperson idea um but if somebody is mm-hmm. coming to me as a result of say an ad that they saw online or you know a video that we did for their friend or whatever the conversation is very different and I'm much more comfortable because they've seen our work, they've already validated it, and then they're asking me to tell them more about it, which totally turns the table and puts me in a comfortable position to where I'm happy to, to discuss. Um, so yeah, that was my thought on the marketing side of things. If, if we were to mm. advertise well enough that it piqued interest, got people got inbound leads um that that could work could work well um but i don't know eric what what do you think the reason is that you find it difficult to speak highly of your work i i don't know imposter syndrome um i think for one i'm just not uh, here I am on a podcast. I'm not a great communicator. <laughs> uh, like I don't articulate things as well as I'd like, or I think it comes naturally to a lot of other people. You know, I'll see people in my industry who have way less experience than, than I do, have done, you know, much smaller project level sizes than I have. Um, but hear them speak about something on, you know, it could be a YouTube video or whatever, hear them speak about our craft. And it just sounds so much more intellectual or, um, I don't know. It's just not a strength of mine. I I feel like, um, to communicate verbally, I communicate visually. Uh, and that's kind of what our whole business is about. Um, so yeah and part of it you know maybe where you're going with this is just a like a limiting belief or um something i i need to change in my mindset um but if it is i i have not done that work yet i was just curious that's great well that's wonderful um I'll wrap up my last one for today. And I yeah. know I've got uh, some other client work I need to get out later this afternoon. So we'll kind of get get moving here. But um, another, uh, the third thing and the final thing that I would touch on that's been really helpful for me as a learn is, is it's quite silly actually, but in thinking about shifting and changing and adapting Blastoff Studios, models. I realized, man, it would be great to have three big clients that we work with 
We are doing brand work for them. We're staying in the strategy lane. We hire someone to do the more uh, the the more uh, pencil on paper like asset design so that I can stay in the conversation space, which is my strength with them uh, through strategy. But man, how do, am I going to get, how are we, and that's an, another thing is um, learning that Blastoff is a we. we. I mean, we have eight people that are between 1099s and all that. Arliss is our first staff staff, but the rest of, we do have eight other people that help us, you being one of them as, as a preferred partner for, for high-end video stuff. Mm-hmm. How are we going to get that big of clients? And Scott said, okay, well, hold on. You've got a project right now with one client that's X amount of dollars. It's it's good paying. And then you have another client that's trickling in monthly, plus you do hourly stuff for them, right? I said, yeah. He said, okay, do the math. Tell me how much that is a year. I said, it's this much. He said, there's your number. There's your big client. What I was doing was I was not looking at retainers as a yearly. I was looking at it as a monthly and hmm. and the reality is this client is essentially paying for like three times of our retainer because they need so many hours. But over the annual calendar, they are one of our big clients. So he was essentially saying, Nate, you guys have already established one big fish that's keeping you going. You can get two more. You can do this. Going back to that whole, how am I going to do this? I don't know. You're already doing it. And so keep keep feeding that. Um, and so, yeah, I think the third thing for me is just recognizing that time and the, the way that I see finance, it needs to be more than just this project, this dollar amount, whether it's weekly, monthly, or annually or quarterly. And instead it's like, okay, look at big picture, stretch out what are you making over a year with this client and then actually they fit the validation piece of one of your big clients so it's just reframing and seeing how things work um yeah just so much to to learn i guess i'm i'm learning so much here and and i get it eric i don't feel like the best communicator um (laughs) but I, i do yeah i do agree with you when you say limiting belief i think that sometimes we it's true we're our own worst critic and if you step up to that plate and you're like i'm not gonna hit the ball then you're not going to hit the ball. Even the difference between I'm going to try and hit this ball. Like, I'm just going to try. That yeah. is a major difference in your outcome. And that's mm-hmm. wild. Like, that's wild, isn't it? Like, how much yeah. a thought can dictate how we do in our industry? That's really true. And you do yeah. great work. So, you know, Thank get you. out of your ego and you do great work. Just own it. I do great work. You do. You do. You get a t-shirt that says that. I do great work. Yes, I'm going to make you that. Well, uh, it's not going to be a bro deal. I'm going to have to have to charge you for it, but I'll make it for it. Good call. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, our podcast must be really coming along because we're getting into mindset, which is where they all Mm. seem to come back to. Um, Now, it's really good stuff Mm. and good reminders for me. So hopefully it's good reminders for our listeners too. Um, yeah, mm. you know, I, we're, we're right down the hall from each other, Nate, but it's nice, um, that we kind of carve out some time like this mm-hmm. to discuss shop and, uh, I'm still enjoying it. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's it for this week. Um, you want to tell our guests where, where they yeah. can rate and review us and all that fun stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Let's wrap up with that. So, um, 
the way that this works, guys, is that this Grow Your Creative Agency podcast is all about uh, gathering stories from founders who have been there and done that and are doing that. Um, and then in between those stories, Eric and I are just having conversations of kind of taking all of that and applying it and sharing with you. I mean, this is this is a conversation Eric and I would have over coffee um, or tea in your case, Eric. And so we're just letting you into that. And so um, if this has been helpful for you at all, uh, we would love for you to jump on our website, growyourcreativeagency.com. You can um, obviously subs- and you can subscribe on, on Apple Podcast, on Spotify. Um, there's a Patreon link there on our website that's just monthly. Um, you can give to, to help us just cover the overhead costs um, if you're up for it. But um, yeah, rating us, sharing us with friends, that would be the best way to get this out there. And if you have someone that you want us to, to interview, to ask questions that we do in our normal uh, format for our episodes, um, feel free to email us. We'd love to, to get connected with more people that uh, that could share some value for all of us. Yeah. Hit us up on social media. If, like Nate said, if you have a preferred guest or have a question, um, maybe we'll start a little segment like listener questions or something. So um, I like that. Yeah. Feel free to reach out and we'll talk to you next time. Awesome.